Pastors Larry and Tiz Huck welcome you to another Larry Huck Ministries podcast. We pray this teaching will fill you with God's wisdom, anointing, and revelation knowledge. Thank you for your prayers and faithful support. Today, we are celebrating what's called, in Hebrew, it's called Sukkot. In English, it's called the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, for the last 40-something days, we've been blowing the trumpet in Zion, sounding the alarm, and as we've said over and over again, these things are a shadow of things to come. They're a shadow of things to come. And we've gone through what is a shadow of the birth pangs. We've gone through what is a shadow of Rosh Hashanah, which is a shadow of the rapture. We've gone through what is the shadow of Yom Kippur, the shadow of the second coming. And the third part of this is the wedding supper of the Lamb. That's what the Feast of Tabernacles is all about. Now, let me say this. We know that on exactly Passover, Jesus became the Passover lamb. We know that. Exactly on, feast, on, on Pentecost, Shavuot, the Holy Spirit fell. And so we look at that and we say, well, it's a very good possibility that on Rosh Hashanah, the rapture, Yom Kippur, the second coming, Feast of Tabernacles will, will be the wedding supper of the lamb. But I want you to understand this. We don't know exactly. Nobody knows. And so we need to live every day. We need to act and pray and live every day as if the rapture could come at any moment because we don't want anybody to miss this. Amen? So for these last 40-something days, it's been days that are solemn. They're to look at ourselves and, and ask ourselves, how are we serving God? But the Feast of Tabernacles is the most joyous time of the year because right now, this launches us into a new beginning. Amen. This launches us that this next year, on the Feast of Tabernacles, from this time on till next year, it launches us into unlimited potential of the goodness of God. Now, I want to show you something that a friend of mine, we have a, a, a dear, dear friend, uh, I'm going to show you this video here in a second, that is the head of the city of David in Jerusalem. And Zev's been our good friend for years and years, and he called me the other day and he said, let me send this to you. And I thought, this is perfect. I'm not going to play the whole thing for you. But what I want you to see is something that I hope opens your eyes to how close we are to once again celebrating all of us in Jerusalem the Feast of Tabernacles. Let God open your eyes. If we can play this, this is Zev on Fox News. The ancient site, which is sacred to several religions, continues to be excavated, revealing structures that haven't been seen in 2,000 years. The Pool of Siloam in Jerusalem is a site where Jesus is said to have given a blind man's sight. And over the past few weeks, archaeologists have unearthed a set of eight steps descending into the pool. You're looking at that there. The Director of International Affairs for the City of David Foundation, Zev Orenstein, joins us. Zev, uh, this is fascinating and really uh, unbelievable news for, and perhaps the greatest news, as they say, the good news in the Bible. But explain to us how this came about and, and, and why it's important. 
Well, it came about back in 2004 when, as a result of a busted sewage pipe, uh, the municipality of Jerusalem had to send in construction crews to repair the sewage pipe. But Jerusalem is not just another municipality, and the city of David, the historic site of biblical Jerusalem, is not just another place in Jerusalem. And so here you don't only send in construction crews, they send in archaeologists as well. And the archaeologists began to hear scraping and scratching. It didn't sound right. Uh, and it turned out that they found a, sit, a series of steps going back some 2,000 years to the time of Jesus uh, that they discovered led down to the ancient pool of Siloam, which is one of the most significant biblical heritage sites in all of Jerusalem with significance not to millions, but to billions. And over the last couple of weeks where the excavations have been going on in earnest, excavating a site that is about the size of two Olympic-sized swimming pools, archaeologists had discovered a series of steps that had not been seen in 2,000 years leading down into the pool. And again, you can imagine the likes of whom 2,000 years ago uh, would have been uh, going to the pool, standing on those steps. Uh, you're talking about millions of people in the time when the temple stood on the Temple Mount would have been using the pool as an ancient ritual bath. And so this is a site that as we continue digging, we will unearth, uh, God willing, the entirety of the Pool of Siloam. Such an important discovery. And just for our viewers that understand, you've got um, the, you know, the, the Temple Mount, the wall, you head south, and you're kind of looking at an aerial here, you head south through what was traditional City of David, and then just in the southern part of the City of David is where this pool is located. And ultimately, uh, millions, if not billions of tourists could actually go now and walk those, uh, trace those steps and have something that we haven't seen in 2,000 years. That's right. Today, visitors coming to the city of David and, and years to come will be able not only to visit the entirety of the Pool of Siloam, but archaeologists with the Israel Antiquities Authority are also excavating the pilgrimage road, the biblical superhighway, the road that would have taken the millions of pilgrims from the Pool of Siloam at the southern end of the city of David all the way up to the footsteps of the Temple Mount, the western wall, the southern steps. Uh, we are, in fact, unearthing as we speak the most significant half on the planet. There is no half mile that means more to more people that affirms Jerusalem's biblical heritage, not simply as a matter of faith, but as a matter of fact. And obviously living in a time where so much of uh, biblical heritage is, is being uh, questioned to be able to be unearthing all of this uh, historical heritage and antiquity that shows that whether for Jews or Christians, uh, that you could see it, you could touch it, you could walk on it, that really our heritage in Jerusalem going back thousands of years, not simply a matter of faith, but a matter of fact being unearthed here in the city of David. Uh, isn't that amazing? Now, you know, uh, every year the, the nation of Israel brings me in. They, they do what's called the chairman's conference. They bring uh, politicians in from parliament from across the world and they meet on the political reasons for standing with Israel. But they bring me in to teach on the biblical reasons of standing with Israel and showing Bible prophecy and how it's being fulfilled. I'll be there again this year in November. But last year when we were there, or two years ago, I was with Prime Minister Bibi Netanyahu, and I asked him, I said, Mr. Prime Minister, how important is the discovery of the pilgrimage road and his eyes filled with tears and he said you know it shows me pastor larry that we're close to the coming of the messiah and that someday once again my ancestors and your ancestors one day we years ago our ancestors walked together and soon we'll be walking this together to welcome the messiah 
It's not a coincidence. We need to have eyes to see and ears to hear that after 2,000 years, they accidentally discovered the very road that we would be walking up to welcome the Messiah on this day I think God is shouting, we need to get ready for the greatest time in the history of the church. Let's look a little bit on the Feast of Tabernacles. Read with me in Leviticus chapter 23, starting with verse 1. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, The feast of the Lord, which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations, and that word holy, that word convocation in Hebrew actually is the word a rehearsal, a holy rehearsal. These are my feasts. Now, let me stop real quick. I know I'm talking fast, but we got so much to get in. I want you to notice that these are not Jewish feasts. These are not Christian feasts. God gave them to the Jewish people first. We've been grafted into them, so they're our feasts too. We're heirs to the covenant promises of Abraham. But because the Lord knew what Christians would be saying, well, these are Old Testament. These are rabbinical feasts. These are Jewish feasts. The Lord says very plainly, these are my feasts. These are my feasts. In other words, they're for everybody. Everyone who acknowledges me and knows me, these are my feasts. Verse 3, six days shall work be done of a solemn rest, a holy convocation, and you shall do no work on it. It's the Sabbath of the Lord uh, in all your dwellings. Verse 4, these are the feasts of the Lord, holy convocations, which you shall proclaim at their appointed times. In other words, you can't proclaim these whenever you want. They are God's, in Hebrew, moedims. On God's calendar, he has exactly when they are. Why? Because there are great blessings that come about today. And he wants all of us to have eyes to see and ears to hear, ears to hear, so we don't miss. How many Christians don't know about Rosh Hashanah or Yom Kippur? How many Christians don't know about the Feast of Tabernacles? And God says, my people destroyed for what reason? Lack of knowledge. Now jump down with me to uh, uh, just... For the sake of time, jump down to verse 33. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the children of Israel saying, the 15th day of the seventh month shall be a feast of tabernacles for seven days to the Lord. On the first day, there shall be a holy convocation and you shall do no customary work. For seven days, you shall offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. On the eighth day, you shall have a holy convocation and you shall offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. It is a sacred assembly and you shall do no customary work on it. These are the feasts of the Lord, which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations to offer an offering made by fire to the Lord, a burnt offering, a grain offering, a sacrifice, a drink offering, everything on its day. And we're going to explain what all those mean because every one of them has supernatural power connected to them. Besides the Sabbath of the Lord, besides your gift, besides all your vows, and besides all your freewill offerings, which you give to the Lord. Also on the 15th day of the seventh month, when you have gathered in the fruit of the land, you shall keep the feast of the Lord for seven days, and on the first day there shall be a Sabbath rest, and on the eighth day, which is Simchat Torah, you shall have a Sabbath rest. Now, turn with me real quick to the book of John, 
chapter 7. And let me just explain what we're about to read in Jesus being involved with the Feast of Tabernacles. In Malachi, every Christian knows Malachi. Every pastor knows Malachi. Return unto me and I'll return unto you. And they said, how do we return? And God gives an answer. Now listen to what this is because today launches us into unlimited blessing if we have eyes to see and ears to hear. Malachi says, return unto me and I'll return unto you. They said, how do we return? Now, once again, and, and forgive me for being redundant, but it, 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 so many people don't know these things. Malachi is the gathering. If you look at the top of many of your Bibles, it's called the Great Assembly or the Jerusalem Assembly. Israel has just come out of Babylonian captivity. Their enemy is, has defeated them. They've just been set free. They're meeting in Jerusalem, all the prophets, all the sages, all the leaders, and they're praying, God, how do we keep the enemy from defeating us? How do we live in the victory of God? And God says, return to me, teshuvah. That's the last 40 days we've gone through, the teshuvah. Return to me, and I'll return to you. They ask, how do we return? And God gives a very strange answer. He says, in your tithe and in your offering. Now, we know what a tithe is. We've gone through that during the time of blowing the shofar. But then he says, offering. And most Christians, in honesty, do, do not know what God is saying when he says offering. This is, these are Jews. They understand things that Christians are just beginning to understand. When God says, return in your offering... He goes back and he's talking about three times a year, Passover, Pentecost, and Feast of Tabernacles. Everybody say three. Three, three times a year. This is where Jesus got 30, 60, 100-fold. 100-fold means unlimited. The offering on Feast of Tabernacles has an unlimited window of heaven. So he says three times a year, you come before the Lord, Passover, Pentecost, Feast of Tabernacles, and you don't come without an offering. That's what he's talking about here. And he says, prove me in this. If I won't open you the windows of heaven and pour you out such a blessing, there is not room enough to receive. Plus, when you give this offering, I will stand in front of you and your family, and I will make the devourer pass over you so that he can't steal the blessing that I've ordained for you for this year. All of us have a blessing that is unlimited waiting for us, but when we understand this is the key. See, this is where the prosperity message hasn't worked real well because we've missed that three times a year there is a special anointing on this offering. Now, let me show you John chapter 7, starting with verse 1. After these things, Jesus walked into Galilee, for he did, not want, uh, he did not want to walk into Judea because the Jews sought to kill him. Now, the Jews' feast of tabernacle was at hand, and his brothers therefore said to him, Depart from here and go into Judea, that your disciples also may see the works that you are doing. Now, Jump down with me. Verse 4. Now, about the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple 
and taught. Now jump over to verse 37. Forgive me for skipping, but it, 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 it's really worth reading this when you get home, the whole chapter. But look at verse 37. On the, on the last day, that is the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out saying, if anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. And he who believes in me, as the scripture had said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the spirit whom those believing in him would receive for the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Now, the Feast of Tabernacles, as you read here, lasts seven days. What we just read there covered all seven days. What we're going to cover today is the last day. And the last day is called the Great Salvation. It's what brings, it, it breaks every curse that would try to come against us this next year, and it releases every blessing. And so on this day, these things are taking place. First off, the Feast of Tabernacles is called the Feast of Booths. And the reason it's called that is because it celebrates God bringing supernatural provision to the Jews while they were in the desert coming from Egypt to Israel. Now, God provided a cloud to cover them. He provided fire to heat them. And so when God did this, he said, to remember that I will supernaturally take care of you, build for me a booth. That's where we get the word sukkah. If you go to Israel right now, every home, every restaurant has a, outside of their, their door on their porch, they have a temporary dwelling place. And during these seven days, they cook in it, they eat it. And it's a fascinating thing because one is the reason why you dwell during the Feast of Tabernacles in a temporary dwelling place is to remind us as much as we want to take care of this life, this life that we're living, no matter how old we are, is a vapor of smoke. It's here today and gone tomorrow. This life, we started in eternity we're in this life for X number of years, and then we go again into eternity. This life is a temporary dwelling place. Now, while they're, temp they're in the sukkah, and they're eating, and they're sleeping, and they're drinking, and everybody does this, there is a hole in the roof. And the reason why is as you're eating your meal, and you're enjoying the company, and you're, and, and, and you're celebrating, you keep an eye on the hole because no matter how good this life is, we need to be ready for the coming of the Messiah. So this is to remind us two things. One, in this life, God will supernaturally provide for us as we serve him. But the second thing is, is we need to be aware, waiting for the coming of the Messiah, because this life is a temporary thing. No matter how great it is, no matter how wonderful it is, we go from eternity into eternity, and this life is, as I said, but a vapor of smoke. So we need to be preparing for what's going to happen with the coming of the Messiah. Amen? Then God says, while they're in, Israel, in, in the desert, God says, build for me a tabernacle. Build for me a place that I can dwell. 
If you remember the story, when God said this to Moses, he said, how can you, how can you dwell in, in, in something made by man? You're, you're, you're the eternal God. And he said, just build me a place. Build me a place. And if you build me a place, I will come and tabernacle with you. I will be with you. And, of course, today, the tabernacle that we build is our lives. And so we're being reminded that if we'll build a place for God in our lives, the God who brings gold coins out of fish's mouth, the God who opens blind eyes, the God who brings water out of a rock, the God who defeated the Egyptian enemy, that God will come. If we will make a place for him, he will come and tabernacle with us. Amen? An interesting thing to put up, and I don't know if I've ever told you this, but it's also the time, well, you know this, it's also the time during the Feast of Tabernacles is when they finished and dedicated the temple in Jerusalem, Solomon's temple. And it's an interesting thing because I've heard people say, well, the Messiah can't come real quick because he'll have to dwell in the temple and it will take, if you look at the description of the temple in natural, it would take 30 years to build this temple. I mean, it's just the most magnificent thing that anybody will ever see. But the Bible doesn't say that when the Messiah comes, he'll dwell in the temple. Eventually he will. But it says he will dwell in David's tabernacle. The temple is this magnificent picture, the most lavish palace you could imagine. And it won't even compare with the temple in Jerusalem. But the tabernacle of David was a tent, was an awning. You saw Zev on here, and you saw pictures of Scotty and I on the pilgrimage road. And, and when we were there a few years ago, before it was open to any public, Zev said, Pastor Larry, Pastor Scott, let me show you something. And he took us around to the other side of the mound of the city of David, and he said, look at this. And it, and it was all gated, and it was all under excavation, and it was all rough, and there was no safety rails or anything. He said, see this here? See this altar? We believe. We know that's the pilgrimage road. We know that's the pool of Salom. We know that 1,000%. When we, when we started uncovering the pilgrimage road, we found a pomegranate bell that was from the hem of the high priest's garment that when he walked up, the bells would, would jingle and they would hear. You know, so many times we've heard when the high priest would come into the Holy of Holies, the bells would be ringing on Yom Kippur. The bells would be ringing because it was, if he had sinned, he would die. That's not why it had bells on there. Because when he went into the presence of God and the people could hear the bells ringing, the bells symbolized the presence of God's goodness. And it would be letting the people know that while he's in there alone, he's releasing the goodness of God onto all of us. It's amazing how Christianity so many times takes great things and makes them like a mean God. Our God's not a mean God. Our God's, oh, come on, I need a better amen than that. Our God's an awesome God. He's a wonderful God. And so he took us over there and he said, we're, we're pretty sure that this is the tabernacle of David. We're pretty sure this is the tabernacle of David. And, and they're doing research even to this day. Why is that important? Because it may take 30 years to build the temple in the natural, but the tabernacle of David could be put up in 10 minutes. And so we're ready. We're ready 
for the coming of the Messiah. We've got the pool of Siloam where they would come and dip themselves. That's what we did last, last week in preparation of this. They would dip themselves. Then they'd walk up that pilgrimage road bringing their first fruits, singing, this is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. This is a time of great celebration and God has decided to open our eyes to realize what's going on because he wants to make you and I an example of the goodness and the wonderful blessings of Almighty God. You know what? I found out that you can scare some people, but you can motivate a whole lot more people that how good our God is. Why would you serve the devil who comes to steal, kill, and destroy when we can serve a God who's come to give us life and that life more abundant? Somebody ought to shout amen. Man. So it's interesting that this is the day that that they celebrated the, the, the dedication of, of the temple in Jerusalem, but also the, the, the time of Feast of Tabernacles is called the time of ingathering. When we bring a first fruit offering today, when you bring your first fruit offering, God is preparing a harvest for us. That's why, you know, I used to take three or four weeks to teach on first fruits just to prepare us, but I think just saying it, this is, this is three times a year we come before the Lord, we come, don't come empty-handed, and those three times, God opens the windows of heaven over us that will do exceedingly abundantly above anything we can ask or think. This is not a time we tip God. This is a time we say, God, what do you want me to do? Because it's preparation for a new beginning. But let me show you something. It's not only the celebrating of a temporary life and waiting for the Messiah. It's not only separating the, the ingathering of our harvest for this next year, but it's probably, now don't get mad at me. It's probably showing us that Jesus wasn't born on Christmas. I knew it was a cult. (laughs) Now, we use Christmas as a time. But if you look at Scripture, and I don't have time to get into all of this, but if you look at Scripture, you look at Mary when she was pregnant, you look at her sister Elizabeth when she was pregnant, you look at her husband who was a minister in the temple, Zacharias, Zacchaeus, Zacharias, and you look at that, and you combined it when they were pregnant, when it's probably the time, the Feast of Tabernacles, when Jesus was born. Good night, everybody. Thanks for coming. <laughs> because what did God say? He'll send his son and he will tabernacle with us. Now, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. But here's an interesting thing. We always look at Jesus being born in a stable. The word sukkah in Hebrew also means stable. And so wouldn't it be possible that during the time of the Feast of Tabernacles, when all, since Moses, all of Israel has built a temporary dwelling place that, and they're all coming to Jerusalem by the millions coming to Jerusalem from the Pool of Siloam all the way up into uh, the Pilgrim's Road. And leave, leave those uh, pictures of the Pilgrim's Road up there. All the way up, millions of them, 
that there isn't room for everybody to stay at the inn. And so when Mary and Joseph got to the inn and Mary was pregnant, the innkeeper said, there's no room at the inn. Why is there no room at the inn? Because millions of people are making pilgrimage for the Feast of Tabernacles, but Jesus went and was born in a sukkah, which is the same word for stable, for a born, it's the same exact word because Jesus is the Messiah and he sent God, God the Father sent him so that God could once again tabernacle with us during the time of the Feast of Tabernacles. Amen? Now, we'll, we, we still believe a fat man comes down your chimney. Don't worry about it. But it's just something that in the last days kind of opens our eyes to our heritage in Israel. Listen what it says, the prophet says in Zechariah 14, 16. It shall come to pass. Listen, listen to that. It will happen. It shall come to pass that everyone who is left of all the nations, that word nation means Gentiles, which came against Jerusalem. The church used to preach Against replacement theology, we're the new Israel. That has changed. Now, there's still some that believe that we're the new Israel. But I got news for everybody. When the Messiah comes, he's not coming to Rome. When the Messiah comes, he's not coming to Springfield, Missouri. When the Messiah comes, he's first coming to Dallas, get us. We'll go with him. Pick up your relatives. Everyone who is left amongst the Gentiles, which came against Jerusalem. It's amazing. Folks, we've changed the world in the last 10, 15 years. We've, got, we've gotten the Christian world. Uh, I'll just say I, I just got a call from Jerusalem Post a couple days ago where they interviewed uh, Mr. Pompeo. They interviewed the last uh, president of Brazil and me because we've been named the most influential Christians in the world for the nation of Israel. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. And that's because of all of all of you. But we've changed the world instead of saying we're against Israel, against the Jewish people. Now we're becoming that one new man. The wall between us is being torn down. So which came against Jerusalem shall go up from year to year to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the feast of tabernacles. Listen to this prophecy and to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. That's what we're doing right now. And it shall be that whichever of the families of the earth do not come up. And the word come up is where we get the word, is the word aliyah in Hebrew. It means spiritually we are rising up to Jerusalem. On them there will be no rain. He's saying those who in the last days that don't see this are those who in the last days refuse to recognize our relationship with Israel and Jerusalem, there'll be no rain. In other words, there will be no spiritual or financial abundance. Now look at this. It's thirdly, fourthly called the season of great joy. When you have a chance to read, we won't go there, Isaiah 12, 1 through 6. And it's talking about not only the blessings being released during the Feast of Tabernacles, but God coming in and breaking every negative thing that's held back the blessing of God. Now, let me show you this very quickly. And, and, and it, I, I, 
You know, I'm really thinking, I, I say this every year, we ought to do a whole Feast of Tabernacle pageant where we have costumes and we have props and we do, how many think that'd be a good idea? And invite the whole city to come and see because it's amazing what's taking place on this last day that Jesus is talking about of the Feast of Tabernacles. Now for, for six days, they've been coming up. Millions, picture Pool de Salome, up the pilgrimage road. And by the way, it's, it's twice as wide as that. Up the pilgrimage road, they're bringing their first fruit offering. And it's a phenomenal celebration because they know the blessing of God. They know that, that God is no, not angry with them. They know that God is removing the enemy from their midst. As a matter of fact, on this day, and I'll just throw this in. It's not in my notes. Um, if, you, if you've ever gone to Jerusalem with us, and you stand on the Temple Mount steps where they would come out, and that's where the Bible says Jesus healed the blind man. If you go up there, a friend of mine, a Jewish friend of mine said, Pastor, look at this. Most people don't know. Right on the, the casing or the, the stone casing of the door, you can barely read it because it's so old. It says in ancient Hebrew, not modern Hebrew, ancient Hebrew, a blind man was healed here. We've seen it. We've seen it. This is God shouting. These things are real. These things will happen in our lives. So look at the three points of celebration on this last day. The last day is called, as I said, Rabbah Hashanah, which means the great salvation. And when we think of salvation, we think of forgiveness of sin. And that's the ultimate. But it means salvation in every area. Salvation to your marriage, salvation to your family, salvation in healing, salvation to your finances. Somebody shout great salvation. Great salvation. Now, once again, I know I say this all the time. God is God 24-7. Every moment of every day, God is God. But on these appointed times, he is closer to us than any other time. And God's blessing and joy and happiness and peace and abundance is closer right now than any other day of the year, why not call upon him and receive that? Amen? Why not do that? So it's called the day of great celebration. The first thing that happens on this day is the temple lighting ceremony. And this is, takes place in what's called in on the Temple Mount, the Court of the Women. And I love it. I love it because, you know, I don't mean to pick on Christianity. I love Christians. I am one. But so many times Christianity has it wrong. You know, when we first came to Dallas here, we were on a Christian radio station, and then we got thrown off the radio station because they found out we believe women can teach. We got thrown off. And so I love it when God shows us how wrong we are, not because he went, ah, ha, ha, but he wants to say, come on, I got something better for you. So here the first thing has to do with the light of the world, the Shekinah glory on women. So this is called the temple lighting ceremony, and it takes place in the court of the women. In the court of the women on the Temple Mount, which was just for women, there were four giant towering menorahs. They were 75 feet tall, four of them. Each one of these menorahs had a 10-gallon bucket four of them hanging off of each one of those. So 16 10-gallon buckets. 
10 men would go up or, or the young men would go up the, uh, on the 75-foot menorahs, pour the oil into it, and then they would hang a wick in there. That wick to light the light was from the high priest's garments on Yom Kippur when he sacrificed the blood so, our, so the sins would be forgiven. Remember, he'd take that bloodstained garment off and they would go in and wash and he'd come out and he'd be in all in white. Those bloodstained garments were the wicks of the temple lighting. Those garments were called, in many cases, swaddling cloth. And if you remember on the Feast of Tabernacles when Jesus was born in a stable, they wrapped him because he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords, they wrapped him in a portion because his mother's sister's husband ministered there. So he got some of those garments, some of the swaddling cloth, and wrapped the great high priest, Jesus Christ, in those swaddling clothes. So picture, picture these giant candelabras, 75 feet tall. Each one had four 10-gallon buckets in them full of oil, and they would light them on the beginning of this day and would celebrate that Jesus was, God was showing them. The, the lights represent the Shekinah glory, and they were so bright and so powerful that it says not a corner in Jerusalem was not lit by these lights. Remember when Jesus said, I am the light of the world, John 8, I'm the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but in the light. Jesus said, now you're the light. And so it's reminding us that no matter how dark it gets, no matter how deep the corner is, the Shekinah glory of Almighty God will shine because light always pushes out darkness. Darkness never pushes out light. Somebody ought to shout amen. It's also, it's also the place where they brought the woman, and I love this, in the, in, the, in, the woman's, in the woman's court where the light was shining, they brought the woman caught in the act of adultery. Remember that? They, here's the light of God shining on the most celebrated happy day in the whole year, and these religious guys bring in this woman caught in the act of adultery, not because they were so pure, but they wanted to trick Jesus. And if you remember, Jesus wrote in the dirt. Remember that? He, the Bible says that he, he, he took his finger and wrote in the dirt, and the accusers began to... Now, many people wonder, what did Jesus write in the dirt? Well, it tells us in Jeremiah. It says he wrote in there the accusation of those who claimed to be godly but were really ungodly and wrote their sins. It says it in Jeremiah. He wrote it in the earth. And when they realized that in the presence of light, God knew they could have, they, they could have the best clothes on, they could have the holiest garments on, but God knew what was in their heart. And their heart was not caring about this woman. Their heart was just being religious. And when God wrote their sin in the dirt, they walked away. And I love it. In the midst of the light, Jesus said, woman, where are your accusers? 
And she said, none here, Lord. And he said, neither do I accuse you. Go and sin no more. What a wonderful God. The, and, and, and I don't know about you, but I love that th this great salvation started with light. It started with the shining of light. When I first came to the Lord, I was a drug dealer. I was a drug addict. I was out of the streets and out of the gangs. And Jesus didn't come and say, you know what? You're disgusting. You need to go get cleaned up before you come into my house. No, he shined his light on me, just like he did on you, just like he did on the woman caught in the act of adultery. And he said, I don't accuse you either. Go and sin no more because I got a whole better life for you than you can ever imagine. What a wonderful, wonderful God we serve. The next thing is called the water libation ceremony. And this actually begins at, as, as Zev said, at the pool of Siloam. Now, let me just throw this together real quick for the sake of time. They would start with, there, there are several gates coming out of the Temple Mount. If you've ever been there, you know them. And so they would go out different gates right at dawn. One group, hundreds and hundreds of, 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 of priests would go down to the valley where these huge willows grew. And they would cut down these willow branches. And I, I, every time I do this, I go, we got to do this next year. And they would be coming up, picture hundreds with these giant willow. And they're going, they're waving them. You can hear the wind of the Holy Spirit blowing. And this represents coming up from the valley, coming up from the lower part is the presence of the Holy Spirit. And so through one gate, they're walking up this way. Another priest would go down, the high priest would go down this very road right here with, with a pitcher, a golden pitcher, and he would dip the pitcher into the waters of salvation and he would be marching it up. Another, another priest would be coming uh, through the other gate and he would be blowing a flute. It's amazing that, and forgive me for saying this so fast, but it's amazing. They called him the pierced one. He represented the Messiah and there's no, there's no wisdom in why that is. But if you think about the unleavened bread on, on, on Passover, the unleavened bread always has stripes and pierces in it. And so as he came blowing this flute, he would come in. Here comes the presence of the Holy Spirit. Here comes the high priest with waters of salvation. And leading them all was the one who represented the Messiah, the pierced one. And as he did, millions of people, hundreds of thousands of people would be singing, this is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Now listen to this. Listen to that part. We all know that this is the day the Lord has made. This is the day. This is the day. We will rejoice. It's not we might rejoice. We could rejoice. Some of us will rejoice. Somebody say we. We, we will rejoice. Yes. And we will be glad that Pastor Larry taught us this. Yes. Listen to the rest of it. Save now. Heal now. Deliver now. Bring our kids back now. Bring our grandkids back now. Touch our marriage now. Touch our schools now. Raise up the right politicians now. Save now, I pray, O oh Lord. O oh Lord, I pray, send now prosperity. 
Sounds like the prosperity doctrine. Yeah, because God wants you to be the lender, not the borrower. God wants you to be the head and not the tail. You know, I, uh, Derek sent me an article, and Pastor Troy told me the other day that there's these three main corporations that are buying up all family homes in America. And their plan is but by, by 2030 to own 60% of American homes. Why? Because they don't want Americans to own anything. They want you to be under their bondage. But I got news for them. I read the end of the book, and we're going out the head and not the tail. We're going out the lender, not the borrower. We're going out above the... Come on, somebody. Somebody say, this is the day the Lord has made. Send now. Send now. 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 Prosperity. If you want prosperity now, shout amen. This is the day the Lord has made. Now watch what happens here. So they come and they're bringing up the pitcher. They're bringing up the willows. They're bringing up the, the, the pierced one that represents the Messiah. And at the blast of the shofar, they all come in at the same time. Those with the willows representing the power of the Holy Spirit, they lay those willows to form a tabernacle over the altar. And this is reminding us that we are to build a tabernacle of God. Then the high priest would come up to the altar and he would lay the blood sacrifice or the lamb sacrifice and the blood would then be shed. Now watch this. As he laid the blood sacrifice on the altar, the sins were forgiven. And I know I say this all the time, but so many Christians need to hear this. Jesus, if all Jesus did, if all he did was forgive me of my sin and say, Larry, you're on your own. I hope you make it struggle through life and I'll see you in heaven. I couldn't praise him enough. He's forgiven me of my sin. He's forgiven you of your sin because there's none righteous. No, not one. Every one of us, whether like we said, I was a million dollar sinner and Tiz was a $7.75 sinner. We all need forgiveness of sin. Say amen. amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, you more than, no, don't do that, no. <laughs> the sins were forgiven. And if that's all he ever did, why not serve him and love him and worship him? We're going to live forever. You know, every one of us is going to live forever. Just some aren't going to live in a good place. But I want to make heaven my home. But that's not all he did. He came to give us life and that life more abundant. He came and shed his blood seven times so that cancer could be healed, marriages could be healed, drug addicts could turn into pastors. God could do miracles. Listen to me. I know when you're looking in the natural, it doesn't look like there's any hope in this or that or the other thing, but you've got to understand this. This is the day the Lord has made, and God can do something. God wants to do something. God will do something for you that no man can figure out because our God is not a natural God. Our God is a supernatural God. Come on, somebody. The sins are forgiven. The tabernacle is, is the, the willows are laid over the altar. 
to represent the tabernacle, the house of God in our lives. And then the high priest would come up and he would, now this is the seventh day, he would walk around that altar seven times. You know, I, I, I can't help but put the, the pieces together. Seventh day, seven times. Seven times seven is what? 49. And then the next day, Simcha Torah, the eighth day, eight, the number eight means a new beginning. 50 days, 50 anything is a time of jubilee. And when I was studying this and just going over it in my office last night, God said, get ready, tell the people. If you receive this, just receive it. Get ready for a, ju a jubilee. What happens on jubilee? Everything the devil has stolen is coming back and everything the devil has delayed is coming forward. Come on, somebody. He would then take one picture of, the of wine. He would take a silver picture of wine, which represents the blood covenant that you and I, through Jesus Christ, are heirs to the covenant of Abraham. But then he would take the other picture, the picture of salvation from the pool of Siloam, and that represents prosperity. That represents the rain. That represents the abundance. Why the water? Because Israel is one of the only nations in that whole Mideast area that has almost no water. They have to depend on God to bring the rain. That's why next year we're doing a tour during the Feast of Tabernacles. And I can remember the last time we did it during the Feast of Tabernacles, we're down at the Sea of Galilee. It's been a drought for eight months. The, the, the tractors are covered in dust. The fields are covered in dust. Everything's covered in dust. And as we're coming up into Jerusalem, as we're making Aliyah, just like we do on this road, as we're making Aliyah, we're singing that song, Jerusalem. Jerusalem, and one of the people on the bus said, Pastor, look, and there's a light mist coming on the bus window. That's the early rain. The early rain seals the seed in the ground. It has, if there's no rain, then the seed dies. If it's a heavy rain, the seed is washed away. That's why God said, I will bring you the early rain. This happens now. This happens today. I'm going to seal your blessing. I'm going to make sure that nothing washes that blessing away. And then once it's sealed, then comes the latter rain. And I can remember coming up on the bus. We're making Aliyah. It's the Sabbath on the Feast of Tabernacles. And the, somebody says, Pastor, look, and here's the early rain coming. And I'm telling you, our, our tour guide, who's been our tour guide for 30 years, he says, pull the bus over. And we pulled the bus over on, on the mountaintop. And, he, and there was a double rainbow over the city of Jerusalem, a double rainbow. And he begins to weep. And he said, Pastor Larry, I've come into the city of Jerusalem thousands of times bring it with tours. He said, this is the first time I have ever felt the presence of Almighty God. And we rejoiced. People were shouting. We couldn't get our bags up to our room because people were celebrating and singing. Because why? Because God, once again, is proving to every individual, when I say it, you can take it to the bank. It's going to happen. This is the day. Oh, somebody ought to shout amen. So you would have the sins are forgiven. You'd have the tabernacle of God. You would have the wine. But there was something that happened because of a priest that did not believe God loved his people.
they would take the wine and pour it on the blood sacrifice. Sins forgiven, the covenant is sealed, and the rain will come on his people of prosperity. But there was a priest that didn't believe in prosperity. Now picture the pool of Siloam way down there. Picture, what is it, a mile coming up the road and picture, as, as Zev said, millions of people. You know, everybody got the first food offering in at Passover. Everybody got their first food offering in on Pentecost. But a lot of times, the landowners and the business people from around the world, the Jewish, they would send someone to bring their first food offering. But on the Feast of Tabernacles, they came themselves because this was the unlimited blessing. And they wanted to make sure they didn't miss out. So they would come. So picture from, from the temple all the way down, mile, a mile, all the way through Jerusalem, a million people or more. The front ones could see what's happening. But the ones down the steps, down the road, down the pilgrimage road, they couldn't see. And so one day, the priest shed the sacrifice, the tabernacle was built, poured the covenant saying, we are covenant children of God. But he took the water representing the rain, the harvest, the abundance, and he poured it on the ground. And he poured it on the ground because he did not want to release prosperity on God's people. He was judging them. So from that moment on, the whole year, there was no prosperity, no rain, no feed for the, ca the, the, the cattle, the sheep, no rain for the harvest. And so the people financially suffered greatly. So from that moment on, when the pierced one came in, they blew the shofar, they laid it on the tabernacle. The priest would walk around seven times saying, this is the day the Lord has made, leading everybody in praise and worship. You know, listen to me. Do you know why it's so important that you get in here and sing? You know why it's so important? Singing is not a time to give you to park your car. Right? The Bible says faith cometh by when we're singing, you could be going through anything. The devil's saying, you're going to lose your job. You're going to lose your business. You're going to lose your marriage. But you come in and sing those songs. What a mighty God we serve. God's never failed me. God's got an army marching through the land. You're, you're building your own faith up. And now your faith is to a point that when we come in and teach, we don't have to prime you. You're already primed and the gates begin to flood open. Does that make sense? That's so important to you. So the people, after they realized what the high priest had done, from then on, the high priest would walk up and the people, picture a million people shouting, show us your hands. They would all begin to shout, show us your hands, because they wanted to see, they wanted to see the covenant in the wine. They wanted to see the prosperity in the water. So they would say, show us your hands. Show us your hands. Show us your hands. And the high priest would lift up both, bringing forgiveness of sin, but also bringing covenant promises and great prosperity. He would pour them onto the blood sacrifice. Then he would hold the empty pitchers up and he would shout these words on Feast of Tabernacles. It is finished. And knowing that God sealed the blessing on their people. But watch this, and I love this part. This is the end of it. I love this part. But their blessing was not sealed 
until they turned around to those who couldn't see, who didn't have eyes, who couldn't hear. And they would see that the Messiah is shouting, it's finished. And they would turn to those behind them that didn't know yet and say, let me tell you about Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And whatever you're looking for, he is the great I am. Who's going to heal me of my disease? Jesus says, I am. Who's going to save my home? Jesus says, I am. Who's going to touch my children? Jesus said, I am. Who's going to defeat the devil coming against our schools? Jesus said, I am. So you need to turn to everyone you know and tell them, listen, I know for a fact it is finished and our end is going to be greater than our former. Somebody stand to your feet and give him a great big clap offering of praise. When he was about to pour that water, the people would shout, we thirst. We thirst. We thirst for the touch of God. We, we thirst for the presence of God. We thirst. And this is where on this day, Jesus said these words. If any man thirst, let him come to me. Because once a year, you can have that thirst quenched. But when you come to me, you can have that thirst quenched the rest of your life. And not only on you, but on everyone that's in your household. What a wonderful, wonderful God we serve. Can I have an amen? So. I'm already late. It's, I was coming in, Tiz, and I said, I don't know what to leave out. And she said, don't leave anybody anything out. So I didn't leave much out, but I said it real quick. Now, the last day, this is the day, the, the great day of, day of great salvation, the seventh day. The Bible talks about then there was the eighth day, a second Sabbath. And it's called in Hebrew, Simchat Torah, the joy of God's word the joy of God's word. And this is the day that all of Israel begins rereading the Torah. I can remember Scotty and I coming up and I don't can't remember who else was with us. We're coming up from the Western wall. We were down there praying and it was Simchat Torah. And if you've ever been to Israel, you know, you walk up those steep stairs coming up from the, from the temple, uh, the, from the Western wall. And as we're coming up, all of a sudden, the, the, there's a huge synagogue about halfway up and the doors burst open. And you could hear all the singing, and all of a sudden, like a thousand Jewish men came out dancing. They're out, they're all dancing. And all of a sudden, Scotty and I are in the midst and we're dancing. Next thing we know, we're we're going in dancing into the into the synagogue and we're dancing and we're we're, we're celebrating. I, I can remember one time we were leaving the tomb of David, and it was once again, Feast of Tabernacles. And it, there's thousands of people, we're, we're, we're thousands of people, and all of a sudden I feel somebody grab me. And I turn around, and it's an ultra-Orthodox rabbi. And he says, where are you from? I said, Dallas, Texas. He said, come in with me. Let's, cel let's celebrate Feast of Tabernacles. And so he pulls me in, and I think Luke or Brandon was in there with me. And, and, and he gives, me, give us, gives us the lulav, you know, and he, and he puts the, 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 the uh, kippah on me, and he puts the talit on me. And I said, Rabbi, I have to tell you something. I said, I'm a pastor. He goes, that's great. See, that hasn't happened in 2,000 years. He said, doesn't matter. We're all serving the same God. We're all serving the same God. 
So here's Jew and Gentile. It, that hasn't happened in 2,000 years. The next year, we were down at the Western Wall, and I had a, some of the men with me, and I took them into the Western Wall synagogue in there to pray because that's the closest part to the Holy of Holies. And we're walking out, and there's that Orthodox rabbi again. And he sees him, you know, we got to keep on, we got the Talit on, and we walk out, and he goes, Pastor, good to see you. He goes, what are you doing in here? And I said, well, I got some of my men here. We're on a tour. And he goes, what do you teach? What, what is it you teach? And so I told him, we teach the Jewish roots of our faith, connecting us with Israel, connecting us with the Torah. And he, his eyes, he goes, would you come to my house for dinner? He goes, this is what will bring the Messiah back. Now, this is an ultra, ultra Orthodox rabbi. This is what will bring the Messiah. And I didn't say back. This is what will bring the Messiah. So what we're doing here is not a light thing. This, this just began to happen not many years ago. When I, first when I first started teaching this, I was labeled a heretic because I taught that we haven't replaced Israel. We've been grafted into Israel. But now it's sweeping the world. It's, it's sweeping the world. And here's Prime Minister Netanyahu said, Pastor Larry, it shows that soon, someday soon, Christians and Jews will be walking this road together, welcoming the Messiah. That's how close we are, folks. Let me, let me throw this in, and I haven't said this in years, but if you read the ancient teachings of great rabbis that said right before the Messiah comes, God will walk amongst the Gentiles, and he will handpick who he's going to teach these things to. He's going to handpick them because... There is another, uh, not another generation coming after this. This is it. And so if you're here or you're watching around the world or one of our partners, it's not a coincidence. God has handpicked you. And what they say, he'll show the blessing of God so greatly on these Gentiles. Somebody say me. me. Listen to what I'm saying. Don't just, don't just hear words. It says he'll bless these Gentiles so greatly that it will get Jew and Gentile's attention and bring Jew and Gentile together back to God where we welcome the Messiah. You know, you, I, I, I get phone calls and emails and texts all the time from Christians who want to know how tis is and everything, but from Jews, from rabbis, from ultra-Orthodox rabbis. The last time Scott and were there, and we were at a military base. Scotty was there. Lydia was with us. We went to a very secret military base in, in Israel. And afterwards, we went to lunch with this head of the government. And Shmulek was telling him about Tiz and Lion's miracle. And he came up with, I can't remember what he said, but Shmulek said, no, no, no. He said, these people have a faith that we need to learn. You know, just think, if we add to our faith, their knowledge, and they add to their knowledge, our faith. We're going to shake the world. We're going to shake the world. So I'd like to have every head bowed, every eye closed, and no one looking around, just for a moment, because the, the very most important thing is you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. So as you're here right now and say, Pastor, I want to give my life or really dedicate my life to the Lord. Right in your seat. We're not going to bring you forward. Right in your seat. Lift your hand up and hold it there and say, Pastor, remember me in prayer. I want, I want this next year to be my best year so far. 
I want to give my life or rededicate my life to the Lord. Just hold your hand there the whole time. I see that hand, 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 God bless you. That hand, that hand, God bless you. That hand, that hand, that hand, that hand, that hand, God bless you. That hand, God bless you. That hand, that hand, God bless you. That hand, that hand, God bless you. That hand, that hand, that hand, that hand, that hand, God bless you. That hand, that hand, that hand, that hand, that hand, God bless you. That hand. Just God sees all your hands. Give them a great big clap offering. All right. Let's say this out loud real quick. And listen to me. Don't don't just raise your hand and say, yeah, well, I'm going to do this on Feast of Tabernacles. Let God tabernacle with you every moment of every day. Every moment of every day. Let's close our eyes, lift our hands up, say this out loud. Father, I come to you right now in the name of Jesus. I know I've sinned. We've all sinned. But I know this. You love me so much. You sent Jesus Christ to pay the price in full for all my sin. Right now, I receive Jesus Christ as my Lord and my Savior. Now say this with authority. Satan, get out of my life. Get out of my mind. Get out of my spirit. Get out of my body. Get out of my home, my family, my finances, and my future. I declare this is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and I will be glad. Look out, devil. My best year is right ahead of me. Give the Lord a clap offering and seal that. Amen.